Hello and welcome to the Brookwood Church Sunday Message Podcast. On this episode, we are continuing in our series on the book of Daniel, and our senior pastor, Perry Duggar, is back with a message on courage. You can go ahead and open up your Bible or your Bible app to Daniel chapter 4. And if you would like to find additional resources on this message, or if you want to listen to our past messages, you can do so on our website, brookwoodchurch.org, or you can find all of that and more on our Brookwood app. what it is to lean on Jesus. Sometimes we think we should be independent, don't we? Self-sufficient. That's not what faith is about. That was Jordan Lyles that just led us in that song. And it's delightful to be somewhere a long time. I remember her as a high school cheerleader. And now she's a fantastic school teacher, a Christian in the public schools. We return to our message, living in a foreign land. If you'll take out your message guide, you'll see that today's message is entitled Courage. And the theme verse that I've taken from Daniel chapter 4, our focus for today, is upon hearing this, Daniel, also known as Belteshazzar, was overcome for a time, frightened by the meaning of the dream. Now, for those of you who haven't been with us, I'll remind you that Daniel is exiled in Babylon, which up to this time has been more than two decades. And he encountered a situation that frightened him. Is that surprising to anyone? It was a dream whose meaning he did not want to communicate to the king. Like Daniel, we encounter circumstances where it's incumbent on us to communicate God's truth. Anybody in a situation like that right now? Well, then go home. But we are insecure, scared, frightened of the response we might receive, concerned about potential damage to relationships that might occur. Now, is there anybody? Oh, yes. And as our culture our land becomes more foreign, meaning it drifts away from God's truth and God's standards and God's morality, we will encounter more situations where we need the courage to assert God's truth, God's standards in situations where our Christian faith, our biblical morality, are being ignored, mocked, or rejected. 
Okay, now the rest of y'all. Now, now are you seeing a situation? Okay, I thought I had the wrong message today. The background of this passage is that this is a very unique chapter or part of the chapter in this book. Daniel wrote most of the book, but this, this particular chapter is autobiographical by the king, which is surprising. It's an official document prepared by Nebuchadnezzar and distributed throughout his kingdom. Now, I'm not reading all of this just for, for time today, but Daniel 4 Verses 1 through 3, and if you haven't found it yet, the Bible that we sell is page 712. Tells that Nebuchadnezzar sent this message praising the Most High God throughout his kingdom. And he began telling his story at verse 4. Daniel chapter 4, verse 4. I, Nebuchadnezzar was living in my palace in comfort and prosperity. But one night I had a dream that frightened me. I saw visions that terrified me as I lay in my bed. So I issued an order calling in all the wise men of Babylon. Notice all this strong emotion. So they could tell me what my dream meant. When all the magicians, enchanters, astrologers, and fortune tellers came in, I told them the dream, unlike the previous time when, he, when they had to tell him what he had dreamed. But they could not tell me what it meant. So Nebuchadnezzar summoned all the wise men. Who was the chief of the wise men? Daniel. Chapter 2, verse 48. Asked them for an interpretation but they couldn't provide it. Well, where was Daniel? You have an idea? He was running late. Sometimes y'all spiritualize too much. That's right. Oh, Daniel was praying. Some of you are always spiritual, you know. Daniel was away praying. No, no, Daniel may have been picking up some vegetables. Well, he might have been praying. <laughs> there, now I'm back to my pastoral self. Verse 8. At last Daniel came in before me. See, he's in first person. And I told him the dream. He was named Belteshazzar after my God, and the spirit of the holy gods is in him. I said to him, Belteshazzar, chief of the magicians... I know that the spirit of the holy gods is in you and that no mystery is too great for you to solve. Now tell me what my dream means. It's interesting here that Nebuchadnezzar used Daniel's Hebrew name, Daniel, God is my judge, and also his Babylonian name, Belteshazzar, Bel protect his life. Well, what does that suggest? Remember, this is all inspired, so there's something. That doesn't mean we decipher everything, but there's a meaning for everything that's included and everything that's excluded. Perhaps we see here a relationship 
between the king and Daniel that was not merely ruler in exile. Because he still referred to his Hebrew name. And this is decades after being together. May have been even a little uncomfortable doing both, but he did here. Now, Daniel, we'll see in a second, was frightened by the meaning of the dream. But, but despite his fear, he needed to courageously speak God's message to this pagan king. Now, we've seen several times where it looked like Nebuchadnezzar acknowledged God and, and some of us thought, well, he's converted. Well, no, he's not converted. He just added God to all his other gods. In our culture, there are a lot of people that embrace God, but they embrace a lot of other gods, including themselves. And the chief among their gods is whom? Themselves. But God gets his name on a list or in a text or a tweet or something. Acting courageously first includes acknowledging your hesitancy. Now, we're going to jump past the dream because I'll just let Daniel explain it rather than reading it and then explaining it. Go down to verse 19. Upon hearing this dream, Daniel, also known as Belteshazzar, was overcome for a time, frightened by the meaning of the dream. Then the king said to him, Belteshazzar, don't be alarmed by the dream and what it means. Daniel didn't want to convey bad news to the king. He was so upset about it, he could hardly speak. Isn't that what it says? He was overcome. He was afraid. The king urged him to speak. Now, was Daniel reluctant to speak because he didn't want to alarm the king or because he was afraid of the king? Which one? Who thinks didn't want to alarm? Who thinks afraid? I don't know what the answer is. (laughs) Perhaps both. Perhaps both. What do you think, Forrest? both. He may have been afraid the king was punishing him, but he also didn't want to alarm him. Now, Daniel had observed the king's temper, right? Daniel had three friends who were flung into the furnace. Daniel's life had been threatened as well. But Daniel also had a relationship with the king. And the king appreciated Daniel's supernatural gifts from God. Now, one of many gods, sure, but from God. But also his intelligence and his abilities. Because they'd worked together ruling this country for decades. Daniel might have feared the king's wrath. But he also cared for and respected him and didn't want to wound him. You know anybody like that? You have some fear of them, but you also have some affection for them. Anybody find themselves there? Yes, that's very common. And so you may be in a similar situation. 
You need to convey a difficult message to someone you care for, perhaps respect, even love, to encourage them toward God, but you're hesitant. Acknowledge your hesitation, your resistance, your fear, but don't allow your apprehension to silence you. You know, we love to just deny things, don't we? I'm not afraid. Well, then why is your hand shaking? Why is sweat dripping down your forehead? Why is your, your uh, antiperspirant not working? We just deny it, whereas our emotion actually will take us into our memories and our beliefs if we'll follow them. You know, I misstated something two weeks ago. I want to correct it. I said that Canadian pastors were, had been threatened that if they referred to marriage by husband and wife, then they would be prosecuted. It's, it was actually, um, they couldn't say those, people couldn't say those things publicly, but it hadn't yet been personalized specifically at pastors. So this was a pastor speaking of his concern. So I wanted to just correct that. So the same principle stands, but it's, but it's, a, it's a law in the culture publicly. It's not specifically a law applied to the churches. So they'll see how it applies to the churches. But I want you to look at this cross-reference. Second Timothy, God has not given you or me a spirit of fear and timidity, but of power, love, and self-discipline. So if you're afraid, you need to find out why. Because God didn't give you that. Now, truth must always be motivated by love and concern. If you're motivated by anger or a desire to injure, remain silent. Some of us call courage what's actually rage. They're not the same. Rage is an out-of-control emotion. Courage is a reasonable emotion. But do you find yourself today reluctant to speak God's truth because of fear of hurting someone? Ask God for an opportunity to speak and the courage to speak. Acting courageously also includes affirming your hearer. Daniel tactfully, thoughtfully prepared the king for bad news. We continue at verse 19. Belteshazzar replied, I wish the events, now this is Daniel, remember, foreshadowed in the dream would happen to your enemies, my Lord, and not to you. The tree you saw was growing very tall and strong, reaching high into the heavens for all the world to see. It had fresh green leaves and was loaded with fruit for all to eat. Wild animals lived in its shade and birds nested in its branches. That Daniel's a little too poetic for my appetite, but 
That tree, your majesty, is you. For you have grown strong and great. Your greatness reaches up to heaven and your rule to the ends of the earth. What do we see in this? Well, we see that Daniel had concern for the king, that Daniel had respect for the accomplishments of the king, which he expressed to him before communicating God's threatening message. See, when we communicate God's truth to people, we need to be motivated by a desire to build these people up, not crush them. We must recognize dignity in each person and see the image of God within each one. Our words, even words of confrontation and rebuke must be motivated by love. We must be motivated by a desire to see this person become the person that God created him or her to be. You see, if there's someone you want to deal with and all you see is their sin, you're not ready to deal with them. If you can't see their dignity, if you can't see the image of God within them that's marred by by their actions, but you're an instrument to help them become the person God created them to be. You see the difference? So do you begin, is it your practice, to begin difficult conversations with affirmation or do you just launch into attack? See, some of us cannot have difficult conversations until we're so frustrated, until we're so furious, then we just fling it out there. Now, not argue like that, but do you know anybody like that? Let me see some hands if you just know somebody like that and they're not sitting near you. That's not godly correction. That's rage out of control. You see the difference? Courage is informed by reason. It's fueled by faith. It's never energized by rage. Acting courageously also includes advising with honesty. Verse 23. Then you saw a messenger, a holy one, remember he's interpreting the dream, coming down from heaven and saying, cut down the tree and destroy it, but leave the stump and the roots in the ground bound with a band of iron and bronze and surrounded by tender grass. Let him be drenched with the dew of heaven. Let him live with the animals of the field for seven periods of time. This is what the dream means, your majesty, and what the Most High has declared will happen to my Lord the King. See, he's kind in all this. You will be driven from human society. You will live in the fields with the wild animals. You will eat grass like a cow. You will be drenched with the dew of heaven. Seven periods of time will pass while you live this way until you learn that the Most High rules over the kingdoms of the world and gives them to anyone He chooses. 
but the stump and roots of the tree were left in the ground. This means you will receive your kingdom back again when you have learned that heaven rules. Cutting down the tree symbolized Nicodemus's disgrace and his removal from the throne. But leaving the stump was a promise that he would one day reign again and the banding around it would preserve the stump, it appears. So for seven years or seven periods of time, this says, the king would live like a beast. He would eat grass. He would be exposed to the forces of nature. So Daniel explained this dream and then he made a personal plea. At verse 27, King Nebuchadnezzar, please accept my advice. Stop sinning and do what is right. Break from your wicked past and be merciful to the poor. Perhaps then you will continue to prosper. Daniel urged the king to repent. He asked the king to be merciful to the poor. No wonder why he said that. Because he administrated the country. So he knew how the poor were treated. And and God's word is full of teaching about be kind to the poor, be generous to the poor, take care of the widows and orphans. Now, Daniel knew the king had a violent temper. Daniel 2.12, Daniel 3.19. So Daniel understood he was risking his life or at least his position when he confronted the king. But his commitment to God was stronger than his fear of the king. So he spoke directly and honestly. Some of us are afraid to speak directly, aren't we? In fact, it's interesting in our culture, it may be true everywhere, but it's certainly true in the Southern culture. We can hardly say anything direct. And people get offended if you say something directly. That's foolishness. If you read Jesus in the Gospels, Jesus spoke directly. The most truthful, the most kind thing you can do is to speak directly directly and clearly. But we've got we've to put butter all over it and sugar it and cinnamon. And, well, I don't really want to say it. I mean, I, you know, but, you know, it just... Could. And they never know what we're talking about. We so soften God's word that we cause people who are living in rebellion to think there's no need to respond. Did you know that? the way we communicate God's word. Now, he was kind and he was complimentary of the king's accomplishments. Yes, but he didn't soften God's word. You see the difference? Be kind to the person. Be clear about God's truth. Those are very different. So we have an obligation to sincerely challenge the sinful behavior of people we care about. You know, we're all folded up in this. Well, I don't want to judge. That's not what it's talking about. I just, I just won't judge. When, it, when we say that, that's an excuse we're hiding behind because we're scared. 
Because the scripture says confront. It says love and be motivated by concern, but it says confront, doesn't it? And judgment, the warning against judgment is when you're living hypocritically. You should be silent until you straighten out this issue in your life. Then you can speak to another about their life, right? Everybody with me on this? Because our problem in our culture, the reason our culture is slipping away is we've been too silent for too long. Now, I'm not talking about getting posters and protesting. That does nothing. That just evokes more anger in people. I'm talking about reasoned, well-motivated, kind conversations. It works because we can count on the Spirit of God to empower it. So do you avoid honest conversations because of your discomfort? All right, who will admit that? I avoid honest conversations that I need to be having because I'm uncomfortable. Acting courageously includes anticipating God's outcome. Verse 28. But all these things did happen to King Nebuchadnezzar. Twelve months later, he was taking a walk on the flat roof of the royal palace in Babylon. And he looked across the city and he said, look at this great city of Babylon. By my own mighty power, I have built this beautiful city as my royal residence to display my majestic splendor. It's amazing how easy it is to get an overinflated ego, isn't it? I mean, read the, the, go to the Twitter world or the blogger world or whatever it is for just a little while. But how long did God give Nebuchadnezzar to repent? Come on, y'all are reading it. A year. God gave Nebuchadnezzar a year to, to respond to a very clear warning to repent of his sins. But what did the king do about it? But we have to know, like Daniel did, God always keeps his word. Pride so gripped, so dominated this king's mind that even though he clearly heard God's warning from the dream, he didn't fear God's punishment. And you know what? The longer time passed, he just forgot about it. And he just thought, God's not going to do anything. And may have even thought, God has no power over me. Does that sound familiar to anybody in our culture? God's not going to do anything. God, God, will, never, God will never carry this out. God is patient. Allowing people time to repent. 2 Peter 3, 9. He is patient, not willing any should perish, but the day of judgment's coming. And that is a message to us 
to be about the business, carrying out the assignments God's given us. And then look what God did, verse 31. While these words were still in his mouth, a voice called down from heaven, O King Nebuchadnezzar, this message is for you. You are no longer ruler of this kingdom. You will be driven from human society. You will live in the fields like wild animals. You will eat grass like a cow. Seven periods of time will pass while you live this way until you learn that the Most High rules over the kingdoms of the world and gives them to anyone he chooses. That same hour, the judgment was fulfilled and Nebuchadnezzar was driven from human society. He ate grass like a cow. He was drenched with the dew of heaven. He lived this way until his hair was as long as eagle's feathers and his nails were like bird claws. Some of you just looked at your fingernails and said, I have got to get to the manicurist. (laughs) Now look what's happening. The king became outwardly what he already was. Where, Melvin? Inwardly. The king became outwardly what he already was inwardly. That's when God reveals who we truly are. And people who are out of relationship with God are operating, if they're not operating by God's truth, what are they operating by? Their own instincts their own drives, their own desires, just like beasts. Understanding God's will from His Word makes us responsible to obey it. See, to hear and understand God's Word and not obey it deceives us into thinking we've grown spiritually when actually we've moved farther away from God. Do you know that? When we go to Bible study, when we read the Scripture, when we come to messages and we hear truth and we say, that's for me, and we don't apply it, but we know it now. We've not grown closer to God We've grown farther away. James chapter 1, 22 through 27. That's looking in the mirror and then forgetting what you look like. Because you saw it, right? And you turned around and you completely ignored what God showed you. That's not moving closer to God. That's moving away from God. Verse 34. Here's the result. After this time had passed, I, Nebuchadnezzar, looked up to heaven. My sanity returned, and I praised and worshiped the Most High and honored the one who lives forever. His rule is everlasting, and his kingdom is eternal. 
All the people of the earth are nothing compared to him. He does as he pleases among the angels of heaven and among the peoples of earth. And no one can stop him or say to him, what do you mean by doing these things? Now, this doesn't mean that God doesn't care for us. That's not what this passage means. But what it means is God's not dependent on us. He's independent of us. And Nebuchadnezzar just got a dose. What, what would you call it? Fear of God. Is that what you said? And fear of God is the beginning of what? See, what happens when we have an awareness of God, the first thing that usually happens, at least what happened to me, was, oh, no. And I realized there is a God and I'm not him. Anybody had that feeling? And it really is a frightening feeling, isn't it? Now, we're invited into relationship with him. But first, you got to know who's in charge. First, God's going to show us who's in charge. Then he's going to invite us into relationship. That feels a lot different, didn't it? Than this, oh, God, I'll slap him on the back and he, he you know, I'm going to do what I want and live how I want. And then I'm going to get into heaven because I'm going to demand to. And that's our culture. Isn't it? You think so, Nick? That's our culture. Mm -mm. Fear of God is the beginning or the foundation of wisdom. And that means I become aware of God and I become aware of myself. That's the foundation for relationship, you see? Not assuming God, awareness of God. But suddenly now, when you enter relationship, there's a lot more appreciation in there. When my sanity returned to me, so did my honor and glory and kingdom. My advisors and nobles sought me out, and I was restored as head of my kingdom with even greater honor than before. Now I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise and glorify and honor the king of heaven. All his acts are just and true, and he is able to humble the proud. Could you say that as a, as a statement of your faith? All his acts are just and true, and he is able to humble the proud. See, if you, if you can't articulate that, you don't yet understand who God is. So do I believe and do I obey God's word courageously? And do I encourage others to do so as well? That's our calling. That's our commission. That's our lesson from today. Counselors, if you'll come to the front, counselors will be here to talk to you about your life, about faith. They're here to anoint people with oil. We have seen healing, but we don't always see healing. 
But God's Spirit can heal, and so the prayer offered in faith can heal. We confess our sins to one another. The elders pray, and God heals. Father, I ask that you would show us yourself this morning, that we would have a very clear understanding that you are God and we are not. And we'd have an appreciation of your gracious invitation to come into relationship with you. We pray this in the name of your son who made that relationship possible. Amen. Thank you for coming. Here at Brookwood Church, our desire is to assist you in pursuing a relationship with Jesus so that you can experience transformed life. One of the ways that you can do that is by getting connected here at Brookwood. If you would like to know more about the many ways that you can connect with other Christians, or if you just have questions about who we are, you can email us at connections at brookwoodchurch.org or call us at 864-688-8326. You can also find our past messages on our website or on our Brookwood app. Thank you so much for listening and have a blessed day.